0: Good morning. How are you guys? Good. It's so good to see you. I'm so glad that you're all here. As, as Mike said, we're kicking off a brand new series today. And, and my hope is this is going to be a blessing for all of us to walk through this. We're going to talk about our purposes as a church. Um, and for those that have called Eastside home uh, really any length of time under 13 years, Uh, This will be like a refresher because 13 years ago is when we launched these purposes. Uh, That's so hard for me to believe, but uh, it was 2010. So, anybody that has come since then, this is going to be a refresher. Uh, If you were someone that's just checking this place out to see if this is where God is maybe leading you, like this is where you're going to land uh, for you and your family uh, to make this your home, uh, this is going to be a great introduction to who we are as a church. It'll probably help you make that decision if this is the place for you, Uh, because where we're going to spend the the next few weeks together is talking about what we do as a church, what is our purpose, what is our calling, the overarching drivers for us as Eastsiders, but also even more importantly, uh, those overarching drivers for us as followers of Jesus. Uh, And this is our mission and vision uh, as a church of what it is that God has called us to do here in the community uh, and beyond all the corners of the earth. And to help us fully understand the importance of our purposes uh, that we are called to fulfill, that we uh, have as a church. I want to start the series a little bit differently than how we start most of our series. Most of our series, rightly so, we start at the beginning and work to the end. We're going to do things different. We're going to start at the end. I'm going to go ahead and give you the ending today. Uh, If you are someone who loves books, maybe you love like mystery novels and stuff, that's going to drive you nuts, you know, because you think about it like from reading a, uh, from the perspective of reading a book. The last thing you want to do is like have the brand new, like latest edition, new uh, mystery novel that's just come out. You can't wait to get your hands into it. And for some reason, you decide to read the last chapter first. Like, so you find out that the the butler did it with a candlestick in the conservatory before you got to go through all of the twists and turns that the novel had in store for you. And I understand. I, I don't want to, I wouldn't do that either. But here's the thing, like there's a lot of stuff that is different than maybe when you read a book. Most of the things in your life, you may not be aware of this, but most of the things in your life, you know the end result before you jump into it. It's way different than reading a book. Like for just this total... kind of a random example, maybe, but like, let's say that right after church today, we're all going to go to Ikea and go shopping. And Ikea changed their new methodology to be that instead of like the grand showroom they have on the second floor, where you get to sit in the couches and lay down on the beds and try the the love seats out and and see how the mirrors and the lighting looks in, in your room. Instead, it's just all flat packed boxes, And you just have to pick the box based on the name because the box doesn't even have a picture. Like, I really wanted to go get a bookcase, and I hope this is the right one, but it's just this box. See, all of us know the end result when we jump into something, right? I mean, and stuff like that. I mean, even like a recipe, like I would say 999 times out of 1,000, if you find a recipe online, you know, marthastewart.com or wherever you go for your recipes, you are drawn to the picture of the end result before you start reading through the ingredients list and see how complicated it's going to be to make. Like, my favorite recipe to make is hot dogs, because then you get a pot of water, you get hot dogs, and then you get to drink the hot dog water. And I would not do it if I couldn't see the picture of it first. So all of us experience this. It's not like a mystery novel. We're going to start at the ending, but it's not going to ruin anything for you. It's going to draw this picture, hopefully, of why the purposes are important, why we pursue what we pursue as a church, because we need to see what it is that God can do. Here in just a few minutes, I have a really good friend of mine been good friends for as long as I've been in Cincinnati. Uh, He is a a pastor that um, I would say is one of my favorite pastors that I have ever known because of his leadership in my life and his friendship. But the thing that he's going to talk about today is not about all the times he's had to rescue me from my own stupidity. I hope he doesn't talk about that anyway, He's going to talk about something that really helps paint this picture of why our purposes as a church are so important. Because these purposes are going to point to our calling that God has for us in our lives. And so my friend Dick Alexander is here today. He's a pastor that um, you all have met multiple times. He's either filled in for me here or been here for other occasions. But um, what I'm going to do is just invite him to come up right now. Dick, if you would, just welcome him as he comes up on stage. And he's going to give you a quick picture of the things that he is involved in, and then I'll come back out after.
1: Well, it's a real privilege to be back here at Eastside again. I love this church, and I love what you do. We have the marvelous privilege to be involved with God. The world, as we know, is a messy and broken place. But the things God does through us can make a huge difference. And I went to this morning to work with me to think about how Cincinnati can help us understand a situation in Africa. If you take the entire greater Cincinnati area... The census area for Cincinnati is 16 counties. That starts up at Butler County and then uh, comes around Brown County on the east side, scoops down into northern Kentucky, picks up Gallatin County and some others there, and then swings out through Indiana, Dearborn County, and some there. Those 16 counties together are 2.3 million people now suppose you take all of those people and you gather them up and you bring them to this zip code and in the 45150 zip code you compress all of those people into half of this zip code everybody lives in eight by eight shanties Those are smaller than the smallest bedrooms in any of our homes. They may have five or eight people in them. I was in one of those shanties where 22 people lived. And I couldn't imagine how, even including smaller children, they could all lay down at night to sleep. But that is the slum of Nairobi. And then there are no government services. There's no electricity, there's no running water, there are no sewers, there are no police protection, there is no fire protection, and there are only a handful of schools. It is an ugly, violent place. People don't have jobs. The people who live there get up every morning, literally millions of them, and walk into town in Nairobi and try to find people with resources who will hire them for $2 for the day to clean their apartment, wash their clothes. If it's a guy, move rocks on a construction project. If it's a good day, they make $2. If it's not, they make nothing and come home at night and their children have nothing to eat. So they start over the next day. Maybe that day there'll be work, but maybe there wasn't. So they start over the next day hoping to get work. And if they don't, and it's a mom, most likely that night she will sell herself for 30 or 40 cents to some guy just to get a little bit of money to buy a little bit of food so her kids don't starve. 80% of the women in that massive slum are in some form of commercial sex just so their kids don't starve. The HIV AIDS rate is 40% in the slum. It is a horrible place of extreme poverty, a kind of poverty that doesn't exist anywhere in our country. In the year 2000, God called a Kenyan couple to intervene there. The woman had grown up in rural Kenya in a village. Her father was a polygamist. She was one of 20 children. She was number seven of 20. But she had made her way to the city and had gone to university. And while in university as part of a Christian fellowship on campus, she became a Christian started volunteering in the Nairobi slums, and God broke her heart with that extreme poverty. When she graduated, she married a young man who had grown up in a wealthy family. He'd gone to a different university. He got a great education. He was in business, and he was an accountant at Coopers in Nairobi. The two of them with his salary funding it, founded Mission of Hope. They gathered up the 50 poorest children they could find, age four, because that's the age when the kids are typically sent out to beg. And so they started a preschool for those 50 children. Every year they added another grade, another grade, Founded by, uh, funded by his salary. Some Americans came along and met them and helped them put together a child sponsorship program, which then allowed those children to be funded into schools, and the schools started to grow. Today, there are 35 Mission of Hope schools with 27,000 children in the The schools are fabulous schools. And every day the children there are fed and they get basic medical care. The philosophy of the mission is work with the children to reach out to the families. And so now they have trained over 10,000 parents of their school children to start small businesses in a typical small business They can make $5 a day. That sounds like nothing to us. But if you made $2 a day some days, and now you can make $5 a day steady, the women don't have to sell themselves anymore. The children have dinner every night. They have clothes. They can pay the $10 rent on their shanty. They're still poor, but it's not extreme poverty. They live with dignity. Many of them have come to know Christ. And this morning in Nairobi, all over the slums, they were praising Jesus with tremendous joy for what God is doing in their lives. And it's a wonderful example of a partnership with American Christians providing the funding, and Christians in Kenya doing fabulous ministry on the ground. They have literally thousands of success stories, and I'd like you to see one of those this morning. This video is about a woman named Jacinta. She was one of the first 50 children in the Mission of Hope School. She went all the way through school, then through university. Last year, she was admitted to the Canyon Bar as an attorney, and she is now an advocate. This is Jacinta's story. I was born and raised in the slums of Mathare
2: Valley. I lived with my mom, grandmother, and baby brother. I knew nothing of my father. Mathare Valley is an unforgiving place to call home. People say nothing good can come from there. But when I was four, I was given an opportunity. I was selected as one of the first 50 kids at Missions of Hope. Here, I was safe. I had two meals a day and medical care. The great school with amazing teachers who loved me and taught me about how God loved me. One night when I was 10, I woke up to the smell of smoke. Our house was burning. We were able to escape but we lost everything. We had to start over. Mom fell into depression, was left to take care of my brother. A few years later, MUHI provided a way for me to attend a boarding school. In high school, they paid my store fees, bus fare, and even pocket money. They made sure that all they needed to do was focus on school. That is when my mom passed away. I had to be an adult for me and my brother. I really thought about giving up and not going back to school. I think about that time even now. But I do believe that good things can come from the Madhavi Valley. Mohi gave me a loan for college and was able to graduate in 2019 to pursue a career in law. After becoming a lawyer, going back to school, and recently was sworn in as an advocate of the High Court of Kenya. Life in Mathare is hard, but I let the challenges make me stronger. I never want to get to the point of giving up. Today, I am an example that good things do come from the Mathare Valley. because someone was an advocate for me. Soon, I'll become a child sponsor so that I can impact her life the same way my sponsor impacted me. Together, we can bring hope and transform lives for Christ.
0: Man, I, I love that video. I love Jacinta's story. I, I... I told Dick that one of the quotes that she had, man, it was just um, it was so powerful to me, and, and I'm going to talk about it at the end. But something else that she said that really struck me as well, it sounded very much like what Jesus experienced, right? When she said that uh, people would tell her that nothing, nothing good comes from Mathar, about, from that um, development, that shanty town. Nothing good comes from there. That's exactly what was said about Jesus, like, right, that nothing good comes from Nazareth. And, and it just struck, struck me so hard as I was listening to that backstage of the reason that our purposes are important, the reason that we're going to spend the, this next month talking through them, the reason that we're starting today with the ending that gives you that big picture of what the, the um, purposes point to, uh, can be found in her story, not just in Jacinta's story, not just in Mission of Hope, but in the uh, the outcome that we should desire as believers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, that we should put into action. And so that's really what this series is going to focus on, is the action that God has called us to uh, as followers of his son. And the, the mission, the um, the missions of hope that, that Dick is a part of, uh, that is doing all of this amazing work in Africa really are living out the purposes that we're going to spend this next month walking through. And for us as a church, we want to be a part of, of things like that, that are happening. And so as all of, you know, we have a program here called, uh, change makes a difference. Uh, and that is about 10 times a year or so that we, encourage you any pocket change you have any donation that you want to make to to uh each of those specific things that we invest in that we want to bless that ministry that is doing such good work and so my hope is um over this next month change makes a difference being tied now to missions of hope that it'll be the biggest one we've ever had And that's kind of a tall standing because you guys have been so generous and amazing with these other organizations. But um, my my hope and prayer is as we go through this series that we're going to bless them in a way like that we have never done before. I'll talk to you a little bit more about that uh, as we get to the end of the message today. But right now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you some passages of scripture that are going to be kind of a foundation for us over this next month as we walk through our purposes. I'm going to walk through them kind of quickly. Uh, Because today's really just this overview to help us paint the picture together of where we're going. And and as Mike said, you'll get a card when you leave today that has these purposes and these scripture references on it. So the first one is found in Matthew chapter 22. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, It starts in verse 35 where I'm going to pick this up. It says a lawyer asked him a question to test him. So this lawyer is asking Jesus a question in front of all these people. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. These these are famous words that are recorded uh, in the book of Matthew. Probably words that are very familiar to you, even not hearing them here, wherever you've heard them. um, It's something that people understand that Jesus said this in front of this crowd. He spoke it in direct response to a question. What is the greatest command? Or in other words, what's the most important? Now, he's trying to trick Jesus, of course, but of course, Jesus could not be tricked. Jesus gives this answer back that cannot be argued with, that he says everything depends on love, loving God and loving people. You have to start with that from the mouth of Jesus. You have to start with that because everything else builds on that idea. And so for us as a church, our first purpose is to love God and love people. This is our first purpose. Our second is build relationships. Now, I know because I've talked to so many people about our purposes. As I walk through it, when I get to the second one, they're already like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second. Man, you just went from this like really lofty Bible idea about loving God and loving people. And now you're talking about having friends? What? Shouldn't it be something loftier? Shouldn't it be something even more like, I don't know, like really biblical sounding? Well, here's the thing. One could argue that this purpose, this second purpose for us to build relationships, it is based on not just one scripture. It's based on the entire life of Jesus how he lived his life every day. He was all about relationships, about pouring into people, about encouraging people, exhorting people, challenging people. But he had to know them and set this as the example for us. Like I said, we could just say, okay, well, the the second purpose is based on Jesus's life, which it certainly is, but there is a scripture that I'm going to give you that's kind of our foundational passage, not the only one. Certainly, as we get to that week, we'll talk about it more in depth, but this passage is an easy, good one to remember about this importance of building relationships. It's found in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another... To love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I've always loved that passage. I think I love it more and more every day, honestly, because that idea of that day drawing near. I'm not, I'm not trying to talk about when I think that is, but man, I think that things in our world are in desperate need of this passage of scripture. As much as I love that particular passage, we have an enemy who hates it as much as we love it. He hates this idea about building community, about building relationships. I think that he successfully used a big part of what we just came out of that global pandemic that all of us have been living through the last three years. I think he used that to destroy community, to destroy relationships, to stop us from meeting together, to stop us from encouraging one another, to stop us from challenging each other, because he know that he knows this that relationships are critically important for the works of Jesus to be fully manifested in our lives. Now, I know I'm running through these kind of quick this morning. We're, we, it's just how we're doing it because we're going to talk about these in detail over the next month, um, kind of one each week, but. This morning is really to help us have this full picture of where we're headed together, of what we're going to spend each of the next several weeks talking through. So so for right now, just hang on to these kind of overarching ideas. Uh, Take the the card when you get it today. Put it someplace where you'll see it every day so that you can be praying uh, over these passages of Scripture and over our purposes of church. We'll take a lot closer look at them as we go. But that was the second one. The third and final purpose for us as a church is make a difference. This is from Philippians chapter 2. Again, another favorite passage for me, one that I read regularly. Verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, that one has to sound familiar to you here because we talk about that one a lot. We talk about that regularly. We talk about it a lot because it is central to our faith. Our faith, actually, much of uh, the way that we live out our lives following Jesus' footsteps hinges on this concept. That we are called to be difference makers. Our purposes as a church, those three, they're kind of like stair steps. That's how we always visualize them and talk about them with people is that the first one, like Jesus said, uh, it has to start with love. That's the foundation. It has to be the first step that you take. And so uh, out of that, if you really begin to love God and build your relationship with him and, and begin to love the people around you, then you're also going to build relationships with those people. That second step built on that first one. And that opens the door then for opportunities to be a difference maker. As you get to know people, you begin to understand the things that they need. And because of your love for them, you desire to do something that will make a difference in their life. And as we take those three steps together, the people that are affected by that, that are blessed by that, the hope is then that they begin that journey themselves and taking that first step to understand what that looks like to love God, to love others, to build relationships with people that are meaningful, and to become a difference maker in their own right. You just saw that in the story uh, of this young woman in a place that you'll probably never go visit that because of what was done for her, that she now starts that same journey to help others. There are people living half a world away in a country that, again, that probably the vast majority of Americans will never visit, that are impacted positively by people who follow Jesus and commit to living their lives as he lived his. There's nothing in this world, nothing, not one thing that I can think of that is more damaging to the kingdom. That is more damaging to the movement that we call Christianity. That is more damaging to the name of Jesus than believers who do nothing with what they know. I don't say that lightly. But I believe that with everything in me. That when we sit still and remain silent, there is nothing that could be more harmful or destructive to the mission that Jesus left us with when he went home to his father. People that do nothing with their belief are one of the most destructive forces on the face of this earth. See, the truth is there are children living in third world conditions, in eight by eight shanties, who will not go to bed tonight with their bellies any fuller because there are a bunch of church people someplace who can recite Proverbs and name a few of the 12 disciples. Kids get fed, feel loved, feel seen, feel acknowledged, feel understood, feel cared for because of Christ's followers who put that knowledge to work, who step out and do what God called us to do, who step out and live a life of action like Jesus lived. Now, I'm not just saying that today as a pastor. I certainly am a pastor. I love being a pastor. I love God's word. I love studying God's word. But I'm not saying all of that to you today just because of my role as a pastor. I can speak to that with direct knowledge from me as a six-year-old kid. My beard wasn't quite as full then. It was close. As a six-year-old kid, none of the words that I have said today would have mattered at all to me, honestly. I had no idea what any of these purposes were about. I mean, at six, right, I mean, you're pretty focused on just like what makes you happy, like the things that you enjoy, the things that bring you joy. Probably seems random for me to all of a sudden even switch to a reference of my life at the age of six. I mean, you'd say, well, that's so specific. I mean, like that's really any kid, right? Like four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, whatever it is, probably the same could be said about any age kid. But for me, retrospectively speaking, About my life at the age of six. While I couldn't have understood the concept of these purposes. I did begin at that age experiencing the benefit of these purposes. And they served as foundational truths for me now as an adult. Because when I was six years old, well... Specifically, when I was six years, three months, and 18 days old, my dad was killed. I mean, there's really not a tougher circumstance, probably, in the world for a kid to go through than losing a parent. And I spent a lot of time over the next 20 years struggling more than I can even ever begin to put in words with the loss of my dad. It became a constant driver for me every day because I let it, It became a driver to send me to very dark places where I was filled with anger and bitterness and resentment and honestly even hatred much of the time and most of that directed at God. But the reason that I mentioned that six-year-old version of myself in connection to these purposes that we currently today pursue as a church is because even though I couldn't have understood them then in words, I wouldn't have been able to verbalize what they were, These purposes were driving countless numbers of friends and family and church members of the church that we were a part of to show love to me and my family. To begin to build relationships with us that last to this day. And they became difference makers in the lives of me and my mom and my sister. So much so, even when I just picture their faces, man, I get choked up just thinking about them. Because I was so desperate for somebody to step in and give me support. Now, the next 20 years of my life, I would have told you, man, I've rejected God. I, I ran from God as far and as fast as I could. But thankfully for me, there were these people around me that were running just as quickly alongside me to make sure that I knew how they cared and loved me. They stuck with me through it all. Up to the point that when I met who would uh, become my wife. and who really reintroduced me to Jesus. They all became this foundational encouragement that became a new driver for me to do the same with as many others as I could. What I know now is that there could have been an army of preachers 24 7 every day for the the entire life of me and my family, where they just did nothing but just take turns, rotating through, never stopping preaching. Because, Jason, you got to hear the word of God, man. These words, you got to hear them. And they could have done that 24 7 my whole life. But it wouldn't have changed my circumstances. Circumstances where I felt alone, where I felt scared, where I felt angry, and I felt hurt. It took the tangible action of people who love the Lord to show me that the words of Scripture are not just for putting to memory. They're there to serve as a roadmap for us. They're there to serve as that instruction book for the Ikea cabinet. They're there to serve as that recipe for the hot dog water that you're all dying for. I can give it to you when we leave today. It shows you how to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so over these next several weeks, that's what we're going to look at in detail. Each one of these purposes as laid out for us in Scripture, the ones that you're going to receive on that card today plus so many more. And and that card, I would encourage you when you get home today, when you leave, tape it someplace that you're going to see it regularly, maybe in your car or or on the refrigerator at home or on your computer screen at, at work, whatever it is. So that you can read those scriptures, you can pray for God to do a new work in you and through Eastside. That's my hope. I'm going to invite you to do something right now. First is just stand up for just just a few minutes. We're, We're almost wrapped up here, but I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing one more song here in just a minute. But before we do, I'm going to ask you to commit to a couple of things. First is that I want to make this next four weeks the most that we have ever collected for Change Makes a Difference. I, I just, I wanna see that happen. I wanna see this be the biggest gift we've ever given to anybody. As Dick and I have talked about what all is happening through Missions of Hope, uh, kids that are sponsored through their program, they get schooling, they get food, and they get, Man, that's what we're about, right? So that's my hope is that this is going to be the biggest uh, change makes a difference that we've ever had. So let's, that's the first commitment I'm asking you to make together. to just remember in your mind that video that Jacinta when she shared her story, what she said, this quote, this is the one I was telling you that I, I wrote down when I first heard it. Together we can bring hope and transform lives for Christ. Wow, man. That perfectly summarizes the reason for these purposes. So that's the first commitment that we make together today. The second one, this one's a little bit easier, I think, um, is just for you to be here over this next month, four more weeks that we walk through this series together to be here in person, to begin to build those relationships in that community here inside the church because we strengthen each other. We make each other better we can accomplish the mission that God has for us better together. That's it. So I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to sing that final song. I love you guys. I'm so thankful for our church and what God is doing here. Let's pray. Father, thanks for today and thanks for this opportunity that we have to call on you to know that you're present, to know that you hear us, Father, and that you answer, you respond. So we do that together now, Father, we lift our voices and our hearts to you and pray for you to do a new work in each of us, that your Holy Spirit, as it fills this place and begins to motivate and move us, that we will live our lives as your son did, loving you, loving everyone in our orbit, building relationships and making a difference. Father, we're so grateful for your son. We recognize the sacrifice that he gave for each of us. May we live every day honoring that and choosing to live a life as he did so that everyone we encounter comes to know you through your precious son. This is our prayer today, Father. We pray these things together in the name of Jesus and everyone who believes shouted, amen.